Well, good morning to everybody. We're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, my name is Chad Clarkson. I serve as the director of HCPN and just want to welcome you to our fall kickoff uh, as we get started. So glad you're here. How many of you, is this your first time ever to an HCPN gathering? All right, good. So a handful of you, so that's great. Uh, welcome. Glad you're here today. Um, typically, we start with lunch. Uh, today, we're going to move it back. We're going to do like an early session for just a half hour. I know I heard some stomachs grumbling uh, as I was walking in. My basketball used to, coach used to say, uh, hungry dogs run best. So we'll see if that applies to ability to listen uh, over the next 30 minutes. But I'm going to introduce Bill, and he's going to do a morning session, uh, pre-lunch session just for 15, 20 minutes, and then we'll, we'll grab something to eat and be back at it after lunch. Uh, HCPN, if this is your first, uh, first gathering, we typically do what we say is, is three different things with HCPN. Uh, first, we try to facilitate collaboration. So we really look at HCPN as a network of networks. So in this room, there's, there's representatives of different denominations, uh, different church planning networks, people from different tribes. And we were really just kind of looking at, looking at the city and say, you know, how do we collaborate to really get after every man, woman, and child to see the, to see the gospel planted, uh, all over the city, uh, every nook and cranny, and then see churches come up, coming out of that gospel being planted. So that's really our, our heart with HCPN is to move towards collaboration. Uh, so it's neat to see uh, what God has been doing uh, just through this gathering and, and those connected to not only HCPN, but different church planning groups uh, throughout the city. Second thing we do is residencies. Uh, we do a couple things. We do what we call a finishing residency. We actually just graduated uh, our, our our last class uh, through the finishing residency. We did our commissioning dinner on the 18th. Are you guys here? I think several. Yeah, you're here. So congratulations to you guys. A lot of these guys will be launching out in the next few next few weeks. So glad you're here. One of the things we're, we've discovered kind of the last few years is really, what, and what we want to do is to try to create a pipeline uh, for future church planners. You know, our heart is to see rapid mu- multiplication, but not at the expense of having church planners that aren't prepared. Uh, so really want to, see, one of the things we're kicking off, actually it kicks off tomorrow, is what we're calling a functional residency. And so this is a design for those that may be a couple years out uh, from planting a church. So we launched tomorrow, we actually got 38, 39 that are going to be going through that year program uh, throughout the year. So each resident is attached to a coach. Probably a lot of coaches are even in this room. So we're excited to kick that off uh, tomorrow. So if you would be be in prayer for for that. Uh, as we were just really try to uh, s- kind of see that pipeline leadership development track uh, uh, started uh, for future church planners. So uh, looking forward to that. Uh, f- the third thing we do is uh, we do gatherings, and, y- and you're at this gathering today. And so we typically meet uh, the fourth Wednesday of every month. Uh, this summer I've been kind of tracking, you know, how many, we- how many gatherings we've done in our history. And this is actually our 56th gathering uh, that we've done as a network. So I thought that was pretty, pretty cool to see. Yeah, you can clap for that. So. Uh, anybody, who was in that first one we ever did at Clear Creek several years ago? Anybody says Ben's back there, Carger, Bruce, Justin. So there's a handful of us who's like, all right, let's give this a try. We said we want to be about Houston, be about church planning, be a network, and not a creative group in the room. Uh, so we said let's call it the Houston Church Planning Network. So we just praise God. Uh, for, uh, for what he's done. So throughout the fall, we're going to do four gatherings, four of these, and we're really going to build, they're going to kind of connect to one another. We're going to build through our values of HCPN. Uh, so today we're going to focus on multiplication, the next month move to collaboration, saturation, and then formation throughout the fall. Uh, so that's really our hearts, so you know where we're going. Uh, this fall. So I'm going to introduce our speaker for today, or one of our speakers for today is Bill Kokenauer. Uh, he just told me you say his name if you drink a Coke every hour, Kokenauer. Uh, so we're glad he, uh, he 
ladies here. Uh, Bill's been really serving churches for three decades in a, in a variety of roles. Uh, his most recent role, he works with the Exponential Network. If you've been to the Exponential Conference or uh, one of their gatherings or been on their webpage resources, uh, you, you probably are very familiar with Exponential if you're in the church planning world. So excited to have Bill. The, really, their heart is a network right now. What they're doing is, is really driving home uh, multiplication. And so they've, they've been learning a lot. He's going to share some of those things uh, with us today. Uh, Bill's got four kids, three grandkids, uh, and he lives in Tampa where he's not just working for uh, uh, Exponential, but he's also a practitioner, uh, what I love. And they're really trying to get after uh, Tampa together. So, Bill, I'll turn it over you. Welcome, Bill, if you would. I've, I've really been looking forward for, to this opportunity to be with you. And I, I don't know, you know, sometimes when you're, when you're part of something, you only know what, you, what, what you're a part of. And, and so I don't know that you know how rare this is. Um, in my role with Exponential, I get a chance from a high level to see a lot of what's going on uh, across the United States uh, in the church world. And what you have here is really exciting. And that's why I've been looking forward to come here, not only to, be, to share with you this Becoming Five framework and language, but also to get some input from you. So I hope to get some, some input from you today uh, a little bit on what uh, uh, on this Becoming Five framework. I had uh, the privilege for a number of years to lead a... Uh, uh, a learning community called Future Travelers. And Future Travelers was, a, was about a seven-month journey, and the primary parts of this journey, there were three, uh, three gatherings, a day and a half of teaching at three different gatherings over the course of that period of time. There'd be one in the fall, one in the winter, one in the spring. And uh, Alan Hirsch would do the primary teaching at all three locations. Uh, he taught from Forgotten Ways. If you're familiar with Forgotten Ways, he talks about the six MDNA of movements. And he talked about two of the MD&A at each, at each of the three locations. And then uh, that host church, whether it be River Tree or Soma or Austin Stone, that host church would teach from those two MD&A in, the context, in, in their particular context. And, and that was part of that journey. And it was, it was uh, formative to me and, and really became an important part of, of my life. What's really interesting about Future Travelers, though, is how it began. It, it really began almost out of a chance meeting of 11 megachurch pastors. These were guys that, that knew each other, were friends, and had gotten together for a period of time but with no agenda, which is, is really highly unusual for people like that to come together with no agenda. But it was formed out of, out of friendships. As they began to share, what they realized was there's this, there was a similar angst that each one of them was feeling. There was a similar um, pressure, ache on their heart, holy discontent that they were feeling that if they had expressed to anyone, they hadn't expressed it to each other until that day. And they really agreed then to, um, to kind of journey together and let's figure this out. And that's, that's what gave birth to future travelers. And I think there were two parts to that, to that angst. Um, the one part, um, maybe was, you know, you could predict there was the, this concern of, in, in what we're, is what we're doing creating more consumers of Christian goods and services than it is real disciples of Jesus? So that was, I, I think that was part of it. But the part that surprised me was that as good as these guys were doing, now out of this 11, some of those guys were on the, you know, the top 10 list, fastest growing, most innovative. These were the, you know, some of the best of the best. These are the churches that, you know, a church planter would look at and go, Lord willing, that's the church that I'm going to have. Yet their, their concern was, as good as we're doing, it'll never be enough. Just more of this 
is not going to be enough. And there, and there, and there was an ache. There was a, there was a, there was a concern uh, about that. They weren't comparing themselves to, to what was going on around them. They were just, they just knew it wasn't enough. One of the original future traveler pastors said it this way. He said, I've done mega church. I've done multi-site. I don't have enough years left in my life to reach the people God's called me to reach unless this goes viral. I'm not interested in planning the next one. I'm interested in how I can release 250 of my people in missional communities to take the city. And so there's a, a framework that I want to share with you. I think you gives kind of language to that angst, language to what they were feeling, language they didn't have at that time. And it comes from becoming five, uh, becoming a level five multiplying church that Todd Wilson and, uh, and Dave Ferguson wrote that, um, if you've not read it, you can download it for free from the Ex- Exponential website. But in there, we suggest that there are five levels of churches, and we'll kind of use these chairs as, uh, as representations of the five levels of churches. Level one are what we will refer to as subtracting. Uh, these are the churches that are in decline. Um, they're really struggling. The, the tension, the financial, the day-to-day financial tension is there. Uh, it, it could be a church plant. You know, sometimes we launch church plants in the level one where there's not enough money to, to pay the bills right from the beginning. But that's, that's level one. This, the, the strong, uh, day-to-day financial pressure. Level two, uh, these are what we call surviving churches. These are churches that have, that have plateaued. It could be, it could be an older church that's been in decline and now they've sort of staved off the decline and they've, they've leveled out. Uh, could get, uh, be a church plant that now, has their head above water. They're, they're making enough money. They're, they're bringing enough money to, to make ends meet. Uh, so they don't have the day to day financial pressure. Uh, and they can begin now to look to how do we add? How do we grow? Level three churches. These are the, these are what we call adding churches. These are the churches that, uh, typically led by, uh, conqueror kind of pastors, you know, able, take the next hill, able to break through the 500 barrier, the 1000 barrier, the 2000 barrier, the 5000 barrier. These are the, the great level three churches that are the, the, the mega churches, the, the traditional mega churches that we've had. These are, they're strong, you know, church growth churches and they've done well at, at doing that. Level four, are what we call reproducing churches. Reproducing churches are um, tend to be led by people that have started to question the metrics, started to question some of the um, the primary goals of level three. So level four churches now are starting to to, to reproduce in the sense of, of more sending and releasing, more sending and releasing language than gathering and accumulating. In fact. Um, one way to tell kind of level three from level four, level three church, their primary measurements of success are around gathering and accumulating. So uh, how many people attended here on the weekend? How many people did we have in small groups? What was the offering? How many baptisms do we have on site today? And that would be their primary measurements of success. Now, level four church will still measure those things, but their primary measurements of success are more around releasing and sending. They're more around how many leaders are we are we training up to send out? Um, how many people are we equipping to go be part of those church plants? How many uh, how much money are we raising to be sent out? Um, uh, how many people are coming to faith outside the walls of this church? So you've got so that's that's kind of the distinction with level three and level four. Now you've got we know from research that about eighty percent of churches are plateaued or declined. So about eighty percent of churches are in level one, level two. 
There's at least one research project that suggests that there's about 4% in level 4. I I think that's really generous uh, because they were considering church splits and some other things that I don't know that we'd really call reproduction. Um, So I I, I think that's... um, But another data point, we have, um, if if you've not done it, we have a free online assessment. If you wanted to assess your church, you can go to becoming5.org, becomingfive.org. And we've had hundreds of churches take it now, and about 3.2% assess at level 4. Uh, and my guess is that we, we have a, a lower number of level 1 and level 2 churches that are taking the assessment than what would be in the general population of churches. So even that 3.2 is probably generous. But, but we'll go ahead and say 4%. We'll say, so you've got, you got 80% level 1, level 2. You've got 4% level 4. You've got about 16% level 3. And if you're doing the math with me, it doesn't leave much for level 5. Level, a true level 5 church, there are well less than 1%. I mean, we, we have been working to find true level 5 churches. Now, level 5 churches are, are they're defined by, um, by this viral growth. There's, there's something that happens that, that the growth is going, uh, you know, even beyond maybe what they can control. If you read Viral Churches by Ed Stetzer and Warren Bird, he talked about Ralph Moore's church in Hope Chapel. And essentially what they were saying was, if, if they were to stop growing, they would have to take intentional steps to keep from growing. Multiplication is so, is so embedded in who they are and, and, and in the lineage of the churches that they're planning. But that, that if they wanted to stop growing, they'd have to take intentional steps to keep from growing. And that's, that's level five. It's almost like there's a, a magnet here. Once you, once you get to this point, there's a, there's a magnet that's, that's drawing the growth of the kingdom. There's a magnet that's, 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 uh, taking place right there. Now I would say there's a, there's another magnet on this side of level one. And if you've been a level one church before, you felt that pull. Into, you know, uh, and uh, just from some of the nods of the head, some of you have felt that financial pressure just kind of pulling you into, you know, essentially going out of business, pulling you into, you know, uh, insolvency. Or... The interesting magnet, though, is there's, a, there's a, also a magnet right here at level three that's drawing level one, level two churches into level three. Because at, at level three, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of things that we know about best practices for level three churches. We know how to train greeters. We know how to um, how to prepare messages. We know how to create environments. We know how to how to um, create worship music that that is meaningful to people. We know how to set up programs. There there are things you know. People go oftentimes to conferences to to hear the best practices to be level three. So there's this draw to level three. And if you've been a level two church where okay you've got your head above water, you know how the day to day financial pressure. Now you can begin to look to level three. You you know that. That draw there, that, that magnet here. The challenge with this magnet is that many of the things that make you a great level three church become the very things that make it difficult to move to level four and level five. And if you think about it, some, some has to do with the social contract we make with our people. If a, a great level three church were saying, hey, come here, we'll give you a great biblically based message that you can use in your life. We'll give you worship music that, that is meaningful. We'll, we'll help educate your kids in the faith. We'll give you great donuts. We'll give you a place that you're not embarrassed to bring your neighbors to. And then you turn around as a level four church and say, what would you think about quitting your job and moving with this group to plant a church over here? 
And, you know, they're kind of like, whoa, wait a minute, that's, that's, that's not, a, that's not what I signed up for. You know, this is, uh, this is where I, you know, this is what I thought we were happening. So that's the, that's the framework. And, and if we, you can go ahead and clip through the, the next two slides there. You can see the, the magnets here. The, the one other thing that I want to point out about this, uh, kind of this framework is that if you notice the circles, and the circles indicate kind of the, the, the culture, the primary cultures around this. So around level one, you've got this uh, that, that encompasses uh, level two as well, this scarcity kind of thinking. And, and it, you know, it, it pervades. And again, if you've been in level one, you know how much that impacts the decisions you make. It, it, every plan you make, it, it's, it's influenced by that scarcity thinking. In the, the, the growth culture, that growth um, sort of thinking, it's how do we add the next one? How do we, how do we grow? How do we break, take, you know, break through that next barrier? And then a movement thinking, I, I, and again, this is, this is still new. We're still figuring this out, but I think there's, there's, a, there's different language. In fact, if I was to, if I was to give a two-word um, description, comment, label to these three for the, the scarcity thinking... I would say, please stay. You know, it's, but we can't afford for you to leave. We can't, you don't, please stay. I would say that the, the two words for this addition is, please come. Come be a part of what we're doing. Come be a part of what God's doing here. Come be, uh, plug in. This is where you can plug in. And I would say, for a movement culture, the two words are, please go. We're empowering you to send you. We're empowering you uh, to go out. This is... Uh, for, for those of you that don't know Exponential, oftentimes people think Exponential is a, a conference company, and a group to put on conferences. What we exist is to see that 4% move to 10% and even to you know, a 16% tipping point. I mean, that's the whole reason we exist. Conferences just happen to be one of the biggest weapons we get to use in doing that. But that's our focus. So this, this becoming a Level 5 framework... We wanted to have a, a, a common framework so that as we work together with this across denominational nines and networks and in different cities across the country, and we talk multiplication, it's not a guy that added a second service, and he said, oh, we multiplied it, we added a second service. Well, that, that's great that you added a second service, but it's not multiplication. And we're trying to be, be true to these, these descriptions so that we... That level five, even though there are very, very few churches that would really be a level five church. I mean, it's less than 4%. Now, my guess is it's closer to 3% that are level four. And I don't want this group to take that for granted because I'm, I'm guessing there are a lot of level four churches in here. So, you know, you guys are thinking, well, everybody, no, it, it only about three or 4% are even level four. And so we wanted to have that framework. So there, there are two things I'd like you to, to just, we're going to be going to lunch here in just a second, but, there are two things that I'd like you to consider while you're uh, at, just at your table at lunch. That as you think about this framework, um, what are the maybe ahas, maybe something that you didn't see before? What are the what are the the insights that you know? Maybe there's an angst that you felt that, that as you saw this, it kind of gave language to, or what it did? What did it affirm? You know, in uh, what what was the the primary thing that you think about when you look at this at this framework? The second thing is, what tension does it raise as you think about this? What, what tension or questions um, does it raise? And so we'll take, um, we'll take some time here, and we have someone that's going to uh, 
Give us some instructions regarding food. Okay, I know you're talking around the tables and... Uh... You should know that one of our main purposes is for you to have a conversation around the table. So we're thrilled you're getting to know some people. Hopefully you're meeting someone new around the table. And if you're not, I hope you will before you get out of here. You know, um, if we are going to take responsibility for our city together, then it's going to be critical that we, we know one another. You know, we don't trust each other until we know each other. And uh, then we get to know each other and we can work together uh, for the sake of the city. So uh, my name is Bruce Wesley and I am uh, I'm a part of the board of the Houston Church Planning Network. And there are other board members in the room. Uh, so actually, if you're a board member, would you let me just ask you to stand up just so people know who you are. Uh, and these are the guys that uh, help support the direction of the Houston Church Planning Network and the residency, the finishing residency that we do uh, as uh, a network, as well as uh, in this coming year, the establishing of the functional residency that Chad was talking about. But the other thing that we're doing is giving energy to really working with those church planters who planted are planting their church right now. They're completing the finishing residency, and uh, we're going to build the best platform we can for the first year of functioning with good coaching and, and counseling and just ongoing support for those who are planting churches. Um, you, you should know, um, I, I was sitting with Bill at lunch here, and he said, you're a friendly group. I'm not sure yet. So I'm going to talk a little bit, so we'll see how friendly you stay. Uh, no, you're a friendly group because, you know, we're, we gather because we're interested in multiplication. We're interested in seeing churches not just planted across our city, but even to the ends of the earth. Uh, I don't know where that started for you. Let me tell you a story about me. So I'm a, I'm a young pastor a long time ago, obviously. And so I'm, I'm, I'm gathering at, uh, with a bunch of people at a co- this uh, conference at a large Houston mega church. And there are a lot of real Christian famous pastors standing on the stage preaching sugar stick sermons and we're all feverishly taking notes. But it was in a breakout session that the big impact happened uh, in my life. There were two guys that were telling about their experience. They were brothers. One had planted a church in Minnesota, one in Michigan. And then they were saying that not only did we plant these churches, but we committed to raise up church planters out of our churches and to send them out, support them. And we we made a pinky promise together that we're going to spend at least 10% of our budget to see those churches continue to plant other churches. And I got to tell you, um, some of you heard me say this. I breathed a prayer in that experience. I, I just said, God, let me be part of something like that in my lifetime. So you fast forward to today, and, um, and here we sit. And I wonder if God has answered that prayer. And I think he has. Almost. 
multiplication is the conversation. You know, in the conferences that you'll go to these days, oftentimes, especially if you go to an exponential conference, that's a main stage conversation. How do we become a, a multiplying congregation or a multiplying movement? And uh, I think that aspiration, we're, we're closer than ever to experiencing it. But remember what Bill just told us. I mean, I'm mindful of the fact that, yeah, I mean, 80% of churches are plateaued or declining. 16% of churches are growing. 4%, thanks, even less now, are really reproducing, and only, I think the number is about half of those on purpose. And then, uh, and then there are those who are multiplying. So, what's the deal? I mean, I want to multiply. Do you want to multiply? We all say, yeah. But churches aren't multiplying. It's hard to find a, a single church. I mean, there are some models, but there, it's hard to find a single church that's really multiplying. So I ask myself, why is that? And I think Jesus has given us at least one of the answers to that question. It's a heart issue. Let me read to you. When the Greeks came to Jesus, something triggered in him, and I don't know exactly what it was. But he began to speak about a, a key principle of uh, kingdom multiplication. So John 12, verse 23, And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, here's the principle. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus goes on. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for life eternal. And if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So Jesus uses this agricultural principle. You just take a seed, take any seed. In this case, it's a grain of wheat. And he says, here it is. I mean, inside of this seed is this, this power, this possibility of multiplication. But here's what has to happen. This seed has to cease to exist in itself. Once it falls into the earth, it dies. Only then can it multiply. That's not new to us. Okay. We, we get that. Even though we're not in a grand culture, we, we get how that works. And we know if you're a, one of the preacher types in this room, Jesus is telling a story about himself, right? Jesus is saying, I'm the seed. I'm going to go to the cross. And I'm going to do for you what you can't do for yourself. And Jesus is going to die for sin. This is the, the picture of the gospel for us. And so we get to benefit and be the ongoing fruit of what Jesus has done. But he's not just talking about that. And we know he's not because then he says, because whoever, see, he makes a different application. He's talking about uh, everyone who comes to faith in Jesus, they have to kind of die to themselves and turn to Jesus who gives life. That's true. But here's what's also true. That this is a, a kingdom principle that you really have to die to multiply. You must die to multiply. And that's true, not just because it rhymes. All right. You must die to multiply is true because all the things that Bill just shared with us, you get to this place where um, the church is growing and there's something really exhilarating about that. Really, um, 
ego stroking about that. Some of you know my story. Others of you don't. I'm, uh, I'm a founding pastor of a church in League City, Texas. And Clear Creek Community Church uh, is now almost 23 years old. And it's a larger church. We have multiple campuses. Someone asked me a moment ago about uh, coming to our church on a Sunday. Uh, what time are your services? I said, well, we have seven on Sunday. We have one in the middle, middle of the week that's the same thing. So eight services each week. Uh, 5,000 plus people who are part of that. And so uh, as a as a founding pastor through that, I, I got to tell you, there were so many experiences that I had that were so exhilarating. You know why? Because I was the man. Don't look self-righteously me. Come on. Everybody who stands in the light and holds a microphone, yeah, you're the man. Or ladies, I don't mean to leave you out, okay? Maybe you're the woman. But. And what I learned is... Uh, as the church continued to grow, this was my moment, Bill, uh, when you were talking, is when you talked about those guys all coming together, it's like, that's, that's in my talk. That, that was my moment. I'm like, this, this ain't it. As much as it's good to reach people and for a church to grow, this ain't it. I, you may not believe me, but I'm on the other side from a, from, from a lot of you in this room. And I'm telling you, when your church is thriving and reaching people, we ought to celebrate that. We ought to praise God for every time he saves someone. But you're not going to look around and say, did my part. We're going to look around and say, this isn't going to reach the world. Not even the world that God called me to. It's got to be something more than this. So just briefly, I, I want to show you out of my own walk and frustration then some of um, what I think changed in me, what what I think moved us from being a growing church. Hopefully we're, we're getting into that level four stuff. If we're not there yet, we want to be a reproducing, ongoing, reproducing kind of congregation. But here are some things that change. When you do that, you'll see time, your time, differently. See, people who lead growing churches are often very gifted. They have vision. They get to teach and lead. And God uses leaders like this to grow the church. But growing churches put a spotlight on a guy, and he's the man. He gets to hold the microphone. And it feels good for a while. And the pastor spends their time doing the things that put them front and center. Because that's what helps the church grow. You're good at it. But if you're going to be a reproducing or a multiplying church, you have to die to multiply. you got to die to be in the man and give yourself to equipping, really equipping others to preach and to lead, to be in the limelight, to, to hold the microphone, um, and not just here, but there, not just in your place, but in the other places that you're going to be sending people. And when we shifted from growing to multiplying, it changed my schedule. I did what many of you did this morning. I did it all the time. I got all this to do for when I'm the man with the light on me and the mic in my hand. But 
I need to go do this thing where we're collaborating together and thinking about how we're going to pour into other people. And it was hard for me to consider changing my schedule to um, train residents and to coach people on an ongoing basis and go try to raise money for some other guys, not my church, some other guy's church, to to help advance the kingdom. Um, let me tell you how it feels. So I'm after preaching one day, uh, one of the guys that helps with all of our production stuff, he's a volunteer at our church, he came to me, I'm, I'm telling you, this really did happen. He came to me and he says, now what is it you do around here? Now you got to understand, we have multiple teachers, you know, people, different people up front a lot. And he says, what is it you do? And now don't be self-righteous with me, because i got to tell you the truth, okay? I just thought to myself, dude, I'm the man. What do you mean, what do I do? I'm the founding pastor. You see that guy, that guy, that guy? They think I'm the boss. I didn't say that. What I did say to myself was, this is why some won't multiply. Because you have to die to multiply. You don't have to die to grow. You can make it all about you. It won't satisfy in the end. Here's something else that changed. You change how you keep score. Um, if you're a pastor around here, right, so somebody asks you how, how it's going, that's code, isn't it? That means how many did you have last Sunday? Um, how's, how's the money coming in? How many did you baptize? And so we, we know what that means. That's, that's how we keep score. And growing churches keep score in that way. And there's nothing wrong with being a growing church. I'd rather be a growing church than a declining church. I'd be, rather be a growing church than, uh, you know, a church that's just plateaued and wondering where to, but listen, it, it doesn't ultimately satisfy. God's call on our life to just be a growing church. And so um, what we started doing is like we keep score differently. In growing churches, you know what happens is the top of the org chart stays the same and the bottom of the org chart just gets wider and wider. In a replicating church, everyone at the top of the org chart has the assignment of replicating themselves over and over and over again. Because the way you learn to keep score is how many people are we raising up and sending out? Where we're spending our energies with our leadership development program, more and more of my time going into that, with residency programs, more and more time going into that, and a different distribution of resources, because that's how you have to die. Not as much uh, time with the mic and the light. One other thing, yeah, you see other leaders differently. Um, I've, I've been competitive my whole life. I mean, I love competing. I love winning. Um, it was a shock to me when I coached girls basketball for my daughters, you know, eight-year-old YMCA basketball. Any of you coach YMCA basketball? They, just, they say something crazy to you if you're a YMCA basketball coach. They say, it's not about the score. There's a scoreboard. 
we score points, you put them up there. To turn that off, it's not about the score. I, I would literally tell our girls, we're going to get out there and kick some ponytail. You know, we're going to win. I've always wanted to be the biggest, the best, all that stuff. I'm very competitive. And I have to tell you, in the earliest days of Clear Creek, I would hear of churches thriving and I would always compare. That's a poisonous thing for your soul. But it's how growth works. You don't have to die to being competitive like that to grow. But you do have to die if you want to multiply. The lostness in our world is too great for us to do it alone. It's too great for us to think that even our own thriving church is going to make a dent. you got to collaborate. And so I moved from being competitive. Well, let me say it differently. I am in the process of moving from being competitive to learning to be collaborative in uh, all that we do. Some of you are in the room when I cast a vision like this. I said... You know, we are brothers, we are sisters, we are common children of a heavenly Father, the Most High God. And our Father's love for us is the means and measure of our love for one another, and no one walks alone. We depend on one another, we defend one another, we help one another. We speak the truth and love to one another. Each one of us has brothers that we can call on for a lifeline. We're a brotherhood of godly men, godly women, because we are like our Father. Healthy men because our Father's way gives life and trustworthy men because faithfulness runs in the family. We are not competitors, critics, cynics. We're not scoffers. We're not given to bravado. Rather, we're sober and supportive. My success is your success and your success is mine. And after all, we're about the family business. So unlike competition in the business world, we embrace collaboration. We celebrate successes. We support one another. We defer to one another. We are family. Now, my guess is most all of us would fully embrace that statement when you're talking about people in your local church. And collaboration means we embrace that when we're talking about all of us from all of our local churches. Um. Recently, I had a really great experience when we commissioned those seven church planters uh, in August, those who just finished the residency, and so grateful for those guys. But I had a moment. It took me back to Paul and Steve Johnson moment, you know, way back years ago, when 50 people were in the room, many of them board members, others who have been training these seven guys that are being sent out and we're celebrating them. And I looked around the room and I thought, wow, all of these pastors were all living differently than we once did. We're spending much more of our time training people outside of our church who are going to be planting other churches. We're spending much more of our resources as a church resourcing people who are planting outside of our church than ever before. And you know what? Uh, The people in the churches of all of those who are doing the training, 
They're not jumping up and down and celebrating that necessarily. They may not even know about it. It's not something that's going to service the ego. I thought, the people in this room, they died. They're dying. And out of that, we should bear much fruit. May it be so for all of us, huh? Let me pray for us. God, uh, this is not new news for us that you called us to uh, forsake our life and take up your life, to forsake our mission and take up yours, to forsake ourselves and live in your kingdom. And yet truth is, uh, in church world, we get so so much affirmation for growing that it's the um, the very thing that keeps us from reproducing. And so we pray for your grace, your great grace, to wash over us so that we can fully embrace um, doing what we need to do to bear much fruit. And so I pray that you would help us to uh, step into the light with a mic in our hand when that's what the call is, but to have the heart to die and put someone else in the light and someone else to have a mic and someone else to give leadership and someone else to lead churches Uh, God, I pray you would make us a people who celebrate both sides of that with equal enthusiasm so that we might one day learn what it's like to be a multiplying movement. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Bill's coming back. Let's welcome him, please. I'm going to take just a second and let what Bruce said settle. Um, this uh, chasing a level five church has been something that I've been working with for the last couple of years and trying to understand that in the whole framework. But what Bruce just shared, I think, is at the heart of moving to level five. And my guess is there are people here, maybe that are, maybe you're hearing that kind of for the first time in a new way. I don't think any of us here are hearing that necessarily for the first time, but you're hearing it for the first time in a new way. Uh, maybe some of you are struggling with that shift from competitive uh, and competition to collaboration. But just in all that I'm seeing and sensing about where God wants to lead the church in the West, it, it, that's where it begins. That's where it begins. I, I, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, this is a this is a great group. One of the conversations that I had at lunch was, uh, how do we get to level six? You know, I mean, is it only only in Texas where we don't even have churches that are level five. They're well, okay. Where's level six? How do we how do we get there? But um, so yeah, I love that love that enthusiasm. But I'm curious, just for a couple minutes here, are there uh, ahas or confirmations or insights that as you begin to think about this framework of the five levels of churches that 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 that's raised or or uh, things that brought to mind. Uh, anything you'd like to share? Just just quickly, we'll just take a couple minutes. Bill, could you clarify the difference between reproducing and multiplying? Yeah, yeah. Re- reproducing is um, 
One of the big dis- distinctions between reproducing level four and level five multiplying is that level five, it becomes the, the, the growth, there's a viral nature to the growth. There's, um, it, what it actually looks like is you, you, you probably could now remove the leader from that level five movement and it doesn't stop. Um, um, New Life Christian Church, where exponential, uh, the DC exponential will be in a couple of weeks. New Life has planted over 100 churches over the last 20 years. And that's, that's daughter churches. That's not granddaughter churches, however many have been planted out of that. But it's a level four church. There's probably, if you took three of those key leaders out of there, that effort would really, would really wane and, and probably, probably go away. So I think that's part of it. I think uh, part of the nature of level of level five is uh, Ralph Moore um, is a level five church. He was coming to Exponential to speak uh, this year, and so he knew he'd be asked how many churches have been planted out of kind of the Hope Chapel um, family that that lineage, and they they had no idea. He was hoping it was fourteen hundred, and so they did some pretty extensive research and going back and found out as of the end of April it was two thousand three hundred and seventeen churches. Uh, so there, there, I think there's a part of it that um, you can't, you know, we we don't know. We we can't if you if you're quantifying exactly what you have, you, you know, what you're reproduce. It's probably still reproduction. And and none of this is meant. I mean, God works in all levels of churches. I mean, the Holy Spirit's you know working. Um, and and this isn't to denigrate anything, except when a paradigm prevents us from moving to something new to to, to where God wants us to be. Um, that's where it's dangerous. Another comment, question. Have you found the years that this multiplication take place when um, a pastor or a group of pastors uh, is trying to raise up, stay within their own culture, or is there, is there looking for diversity? Again, there's, there's not a lot to draw from in a Western context. Um, so, you know, there, it's not like I can go to you know, 10 case studies and say, here's, here's what we found for that. My, uh, what I suspect is, and what we're beginning to see is, I think that, that it will be much more multicultural. Um, I think that, um, you know, there'll, there'll be more, um, you know, just, I think collaboration is, is, is a part of it, but I, I think there's, I think it's be, be more, um, multicultural than, than what we've typically seen. I, I don't think you're going to have a level five movement Within just one demographic, but that's that, that's personal opinion. There, that I, you know, I don't really have any data to to go by. Yeah. Does this apply in um, immigrant or minority group context, where many times there's a scarcity of resources, so they're forced to live in level one because there simply aren't enough resources to be at level two. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You well, and that that actually raises up another point. Does this have to be linear? If you're planting a church now, do you have to go through level three to get through level five? And I would suggest that if you try to go through level three to level five, the likelihood you may never get to level five. And so there, you know, this level one, level two church. I came across a, a level two church in Tampa. That the day I met with them, they're in the process of selling their facility to decentralize. They want to become, they've done a lot of work in Cuba over the, over the years and they've, and they've seen this happen in Cuba. And so now and they, they're committing to it. So they're burning the ships. They had a contract on their property to sell it and they're going to decentralize and they're, you know, trying to disciple their people into, to that way of, that way of thinking. So, um, 
Yeah. Yeah. Say that again, I'm sorry. Uh, you're asking me what they are, or you have some? <laughs> it, it's, I think, uh, again, what Bruce shared, I think, is at the part of it. You, you, there so much of our, even our society, I mean, it's not just the, I mean, the economic model of the church is level three. You know, you, you, you move to level four, level five, you're, you're working against the typical economic model. There is that, you know, all of us, I mean, I'm not a, a pastor in, in that context, but you know, I understand what it's like when people think you're the man. You know, I was the CEO of a company for 17 years. You know, they're, they're, I know what that what that feels like. Uh, and even in our culture, when you know, if you've got a problem, you know, if you've got a problem, you break your arm. You're not going to your next door neighbor to set it. You go to a specialist to set it. So even even our culture is geared towards um, towards specialists. So um, <laughs> there are. I think that's the, if there are fears, it, it would be in the leadership. You know, to say this is something I've got to die to this. I've got to die to this. And man, if you if you grew up in the church and you were, you know, felt called to vocational ministry at age sixteen and you went to seminary and now, I mean, this is this is. I mean, that's got a, it's radical. I mean, it's pretty different. Yeah, uh, go, we'll go here and then we'll come back here. Yeah, yeah. Are, are you, you want me to answer that? Yeah. <laughs> Part of it is, I spent a long time in Asia. Um, persecution and necessity makes it easier to stay movement focused. Mm-hmm. When coming back here to the states, one of the problems is it's difficult to stay on task with a hard mission when there's reasonably good mission that pays and gives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. And I do, th- I do think that's a barrier. I think we have to move beyond where, where bivocational, bivocational we typically look at as a stepping stone or a fallback position. When if, if we're all, I mean, if, if, if all of the people that are in the churches that are represented were here today, we're all full-time pastors. We're just not all vocational pastors. So we really are all you know, so how do we how do we how do we take advantage of that? How do we how do we use that? And and so we need to not look down at bivocational. So either either one of you guys, and then we'll let go with the second one. You mentioned uh, that right, level two and three. There's a tendency towards making consumers or consumerism. Any insights on avoiding? How, how do you avoid consumerism? That um, I I wonder if the the strong level three churches. First of all, I don't know how many level three churches have moved to level five because of, of what it takes. I even look at, I mean, there's a, a church I have in mind in, in Tampa that about uh, five or 6,000 weekend attendance. Some good, I know a lot of the people in that church, good people, um, sincerely believe in Jesus. But they've been discipled in a way of what it means to be a Christ follower. You know, three out of four, attend three out of four Sundays, 2% of your income, and a mission project once or twice a year. But they're, they're good people. If moving from three to five may be a shift, not just in the scorecard, but in the whole operating system. I don't know. 
I can't in good conscience say you've got to move to level five. I wonder if that church, if t- moving to level four and then carving off resources to be able to launch some level five R&D kind of stuff that's not answerable to that that deacon board, you know, that's, that, that is free to be able to move, if that might be their best legacy moving forward. Um, yeah, it's, it's and the consumer, I mean, consumer, I think, I think consumerism is a, is a greater, um, threat to Christianity than any other faith. Um, so, yeah. I, I think definitely. I think you've got a better chance. I, I think I think you've got um, a better chance of continuing to multiply because you you, know, you have the opportunity to build that DNA in and and that sending and and releasing. Um, yeah, and and I wonder if you know as we have more and more level five churches, if they ever how big they would ever really get because if your mindset is always sending and releasing, you know. Now that you know, I think there'll be. Um, gathering, there's a, I think there's something to this issue of proxemics. Um, and it's, it's a study that Edward T. Hall did back in the sixties. Uh, Joe Myers kind of, kind of brought it to the forefront about 12 or 13 years ago in a book called, uh, Search to Belong. Um, and it's the idea that we, 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 uh, have healthy, we, we want to have relationships in four spaces, intimate space, personal space, social space, and public space. And if you look at that in Jesus' life, uh, Peter, James, and John, the 12, the 72, the multitudes, I, th- I think there's something for that for churches, too. I think, you know, as we, in multiplication, and, and if you're doing a parish model or missional communities or that sort of thing, bringing missional communities together, you know, for that social space, um, you know, even having large gatherings from time to time, um, I think there's still a place for that. This isn't anti-large gatherings, but... But it's large gatherings to serve the edges, not everything else to serve that large gathering, if that makes sense. And multiplication, multiplication is, I think, is critical. And, and the reason it matters, I think about gospel saturation where I live. So I'm, I'm, I love that picture of, you know, the kingdom of God is so robust and, and the, the people of God are so many that everybody in that geography is having a, a daily encounter with Jesus in word and deed. Man, I love that. I love that picture. The only challenge with that picture for me is strategically, it's, I, I don't have anything to grab onto. So I heard about a study that said that if you have one faith community, one church for every thousand people, that you begin to hit a tipping point for gospel saturation. So I'm like, okay, I can, I can work with that. So I'm, I'm thinking about the Tampa Bay area, and there are a few counties that make up the Tampa Bay area, but two primary counties. You have Pinellas County on the west side of the bay, that's St. Petersburg, Clearwater, and you have Hillsborough County, that where Tampa is. We've got a million people in Pinellas and a million two in Hillsborough, so 2.2 million, and if, if we want one church for every thousand people, that's 2,200 churches. So I started researching and figuring out how many churches are there, and at first I thought there might be as many as a third. You kind of look closer at some of those churches, and they're not what, you know, I think we'd really consider churches. So we have about a fourth of the churches, which means for gospel saturation right now, we need another 1,650 churches. 
If it took $200,000 for an average church plant over three years, about 67000 a year, and I don't know what the average is here, but say it was 67000 a year for a three-year period to launch a church, we would have needed a couple of years ago $330 million, a third of a billion dollars for gospel saturation in the, just the, those two counties of Florida. And so you realize we, we, need to, we need to be thinking differently. I think about Ralph Winter's... Um, uh, uh, cultural distance scale, and you're probably more familiar with it than I am, but you know, the church culture is at zero, and then you've got level, level one, you've got an iteration away, and a second and a third iteration away based on uh, language, um, um, uh, kind of uh, just worldview, different things that move you out further and further. Well, there's this sense that more and more people are out here on this, you know, second and third iteration beyond church culture. And so somebody suggested that of the, the entire population of people who are not yet Christ followers, that the that 60% of them couldn't be reached through the prevailing model of the church. In other words, that the 96% level one, two, and three churches that are, you know, about gathering, that 60% of the unchurched population couldn't be reached with that. Now there's absolutely no research behind that at all. You know, that's been thrown out there. But but my guess is if you think about where you're at, if you think about your context, there's a percentage of people that you kind of sense that no matter how good we do things here from an attractional approach, there's a, a pretty good-sized percentage of people that will never be reached. And, and, the, and when, we do, when we do make that missional journey from church culture to level one or level two or level three, when someone comes to faith, I think what we have to be careful is that we're not then extracting them back into this church culture. But how do we plant churches there? How do we birth churches there in that in that particular culture? Because I, I, you know, I look at if we grow the same number of mega churches, and if we add the same number of multi sites, and we plant the same number of churches in the coming decade that we did this last decade, we just fall further behind. So how do we need to think differently? We did a, uh, this last year we did a radical multi-site learning community with, um, 15, uh, really neat multi-site churches. Uh, some of these are really pushing on the edges even of level four. I think the average size church was 8,000 people. And our first gathering, um, was in Manhattan and it just so happened that somebody saw a tweet. It was from, uh, it's from the International Bulletin of Missionary Research. And they had, and I don't know exactly how they did this, but supposedly they got all the church budgets and divided by the number of people who come to faith. And they said the average cost per baptism was $762,000. Now, what, I don't, you know, again, I don't know the, that group or exactly what it was. But what you saw was immediately pastors grabbing their phones and going. And the next thing you saw was this. I mean, you physically saw, you know, people were sitting on, you just physically saw their shoulders slumped. Not because they were doing worse than 762,000. They were doing way better than 762,000, but it hit them what their cost, what their budget was for the number of people being saved. And so what that, what that says to me is that in, in this addition model, there's always a limit on resources, whether it's leadership capacity, money, and it's probably more often than not leadership capacity, whatever it is, there's a limit. So that you, you come to a point where it takes more and more effort for the same incremental gain. Uh, Todd Wilson was talking to um, 
Bill Hybels about the leadership summit. And he mentioned that he goes every year we have to work that much harder to get the same incremental gain. And if you were, if you were to graph that on an X, Y axis, it looks like this because it's taken more and more effort to get that little bit more. So what do we need to, you know, what do we need to do? You know, it's the exact opposite of an exponential or a multiplication curve. What, how do we need to think? What do we need to be doing to work in ways that, um, where we're getting actually more increase from our efforts? So here's, I've got one more, and this is where you get to speak in. This is what I'm taking back to me with, to, taking back to exponential. I want to take just a few minutes and talk among your table. I want to, I want you to consider two questions. What are the two or three things, two or three barriers that you think to, to multiplication? What are the two or three barriers that, that are the, you think are the biggest barriers that come to, to multiplication? And then secondly, if you could make a couple of unilateral moves that wouldn't be, that your church wouldn't object to, it would just go smoothly, your denomination wouldn't object to. What are the one or two or three things that you do? So let, we'll just take a few minutes to talk about that among your tables, and, and uh, this is where I get to hear from you in just a second. Okay, I know, I know I've not given you a whole lot of time, but what I'm looking for, top of mind, what are, what are some of the barriers? What are some of the major barriers that you see to, to multiplication? What are, what are some of the barriers? You can't, you can't name somebody that's in this room either. You have to. Billy? Okay. Yeah, this is, this is one of the things that we see is, Is the building? You almost. This is great discussion. You almost hate this stuff. Like that, you know? So, yeah. One of the, one of the things that was mentioned here is the building. So, yeah, you've got you've got debt. You know, sometimes debt involved. That you've got you've got already assets that that you've got to you've got to take care of. You've got upkeep if there's not debt. Yeah. What comfort? Ah. Uh, all right. Yeah. So, building comfort. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, there's, there's, on, on one, on one hand, we haven't challenged our people beyond three out of four Sundays, 2% of your income in a mission project once or twice a year. And, and, and there is part of us that wants to be called to something else, but there's also a certain amount of comfort in that. Yeah. Yeah, fear fear of losing numbers, losing people. That that's why that's why I wanted to pause on what Bruce said here because you don't. I, I'm convinced you don't get to. We don't get to level five. We don't get to level four without dying. Anything else? That t- yeah. Uh, that's uh, yeah. Fear that fear that people aren't ready to be sent. Which I think is a legitimate fear, particularly if they've been part of a level two, level three church for a period of time. Anything? We know how to do what we're doing presently. We don't really know the details of doing that well. Yeah, the the unknown. What's uh, what I think? What's characteristic about level three is its prescriptive language. You know, we can give people the seven steps to a great youth program. We can give people. We can we. 
Moving to level five, we don't, it may actually end up being more prescriptive than descriptive. And, and that's something that I'm uncomfortable with. A lot of us are uncomfortable with. So yeah. So if you had, if you could, if you could make a unilateral move in your church, wouldn't be resisted by the people in your church, wouldn't be resisted by your denomination. What, what would you do? What would you do right now that would, uh, in your church? Is there, what, what, if you could make, if you could, Make a change in your church that wouldn't be resisted. What would you do? Yeah. Make the testimonies part of. Ah. That's a, that's a really key thing to keep in mind. That's actually something most of you do. What you what you measure improves. What you celebrate gets repeated. I really don't think any church can have any more than three top priorities. That I mean, you can have a whole list of priorities, but at some point they come in competition with each other. It's hard to have more than three at the top that there aren't that you're not going to let compete with any other priorities. And what you celebrate gets repeated. And and if you think about that, you have a limited time to celebrate what you want to see happen in your church. So I think testimonies is a great way to do it. Somebody asked me once, well, we don't, what I want to see happen, we don't have happening in our church. And what I suggest is find out where it is happening. Get a video and show it. Be, just begin to, to celebrate, celebrate that. What are the, another move that you'd make? Yeah. Yep. That, that's my, that's my hope. Yeah. That if, that, and, and part of what we want to do with this framework is give, you know, is to say that four minute mile can be broken. We, we, we've been living on the, on the fact that you can't get, get faster than the four minute mile. And, and I think you really can't. Yeah. Back there. Somebody. Uh, all right. I, I want to share. I, I wish we had more time, but I really want to share with you something. Seven things that I've learned from Ralph Moore. Now, Ralph Moore is a legit level five church. And uh, I had a chance to meet him at Exponential East this past year. And, and uh, I, you know, I, it was actually an impromptu meeting the first time I met him. I had a breakfast meeting that morning. And, and I came uh, back to Exponential. And so I, I uh, went into the speaker lounge. And Todd Wilson called me over and said, hey, I want to introduce you to Ralph Moore. And I was excited because I've been using Ralph as, a, uh, as an example for a level five church for a year now. And hadn't met him. And I had so many questions that I wanted to ask him. Um, I have to admit that there was this twinge of, um, you know, after you've had this image for a while, you know, and for a year you've talked about him, I'm like, what if, what if this isn't what, you know, you know, what if I find out, you know, so there, yeah, but I was, I was anxious to find out. But he, he knew that, um, coming to exponentially be asked how many churches have been planted out of sort of the hope movement. Family, the Hope Foot Movement lineage. So they did some pretty extensive research to figure out how many churches that um, had been planted. And as of the last week in April, 2,317 churches have been planted out of Ralph Moore's efforts that, that tie their roots back to Ralph Moore. And we think about that. Ralph Moore right now pastors a church of 300 in the city of Honolulu, and they don't have their own facility. He said, the city of Honolulu is our facility. We rent, a, we rent a theater on the weekends. We rent these other kind of spaces when we need it. Um, 
And the, and it was just, yeah, I mean, it's really kind of amazing to see. So there were seven things that I learned in, in meeting Ralph and now getting to know Ralph. And the, and the first thing is there's a deep intimacy with Jesus and a, and a, and a great love for people. The last time I was with him was in Atlanta, and, and he had come back from Europe somewhere, and he was talking about where he was at, and he was talking about this love of the people, and he goes, I could move there. I could move there today. And as you talk to him a little bit further, he's talking about some other, he goes, yeah, I could move there. And you realize he just has this love for people. And so I think in, in terms of level five, how do we, how do we help our people in, in deepen their intimacy with Jesus and, and understand that brokenness for the lostness? You know, how, how, how do we help our people to really have that passion? Second thing I learned about Ralph, when you first meet Ralph, there's this air of humility that's just really cool. I mean, he's 70 years old, you know, he's sort of um, post-hippie, you know, uh, 70 years old. But he, he's, and you would think, you know, 2,317 churches, this is how you do it. Here are the steps. And he's not that way at all. He's like, yeah. When we, we're in the course of the conversation, we're talking about seminary students. And he goes, yeah, we probably haven't done as well. As we should have with seminary students, we, we would. They have part of their process. They have what they call mini churches, and I'm not sure whether they actually uh, consider them an ecclesial minimum. But what's what's spoken on the weekends, then the mini churches will take that throughout the week, and that becomes how how people are trained. And then leaders of mini churches will go out and launch churches. And he said we'd have these seminary students that would come in. And they'd want to plant with us. And we'd go, well, that's great, but I'm not going to put you ahead of this carpenter who's been leading this mini church for three years. And, and he said, then they would leave. And he goes, yeah, maybe that was to our detriment. And I just thought that was really cool, that level of humility that at 70, he's still, still working to figure it out, still trying to figure it out. But along with that, as you get to know Ralph, you realize this, there's this underlying tenacity. There's this underlying conquer the world attitude, you know, that he has. And if you're familiar with Jim Collins, good to great, he's a classic level five leader, that strong will coupled with that deep humility. And I really think that's going to characterize level five churches. Those are the people that are willing to die to what God wants to do. And, And I think that level five leaders are going to be more characterized by that strong will, but that deep sense of humility. Uh, the, the, the third thing that I learned from Ralph is this uh, idea of a big vision. He, he would say that that's what took them from level four to level five. When the vision for the city got bigger than what he'd had before, when he began to be geocentric instead of thinking just through the lens of his church. And that's what I love about this group. I mean, that, that, that's what I love about this group. It's what I love about Christ together. When, when you begin to work like this, what you end up with is way more than the sum of its parts. And so it's, it's getting that, uh, that vision for, um, you know, for collaboration, working outside yourself. Um, I wonder, and, and I, you know, I may disagree with this in another month, so, but just, I wonder if there might be places where there's level five movement taking on that actually involves several churches, you know, and several networks. And, and even though we, to, to this date, we've just been thinking in terms of a church, but I wonder if, if there's conditions in a city where there's collaboration, where there's level five movement in a city. Fourth thing I learned from him is leadership development is huge. I mentioned the, uh, the mini churches. That becomes their training ground. So what happens is they'll, uh, they'll get to a certain point and, and they'll be, say, the four top leaders in that mini church. And they'll take the top leader and the fourth in terms of capacity and they'll go out and plant. And then the, the second, third sort of level leader or, or in terms of leadership capacity will stay there and they'll continue to grow 
and they'll continue to raise up other leaders. And they look for, for leadership from everywhere. They, uh, he said that we often find our best leaders in the rebels. You know, the people on the, people on the fringes. He even mentioned a six-year-old girl that we know has always had followers. You know, so they're always, they're always looking for, uh, for leaders. The fifth thing is they're empowering everyday Christ followers. If you're part of Hope Chapel, you're, you, there's just this expectation that you'll move to the next level. You just always, always move. Um, I'm part of um, the Underground Network in Tampa, and it's not as subversive as it sounds. If I had time, I'd give you the background of the name. But what I love about the Underground is that if you're part of the Underground, it's it, and, and it's mostly all lay people, if you're part of the Underground, you know that you're called to ministry. The question is never... Am I called to ministry or not? You are. It's just you know that you are. The only question that exists is, what ministry has God called you to? It's just part of the DNA, part of who we are. So one of the things that we have is, is a calling lab that just, you know, and, and it's not that the calling lab is the end all to all calling labs, but it reinforces that idea of, hey, have you been through the calling lab? Do you know, do you know what God's, how God's calling you? And I love that part. In fact, if, if you're welcome, callinglab.com. If you go to callinglab.com, feel free to steal that, use whatever you want there. But the important thing is that that, you know, it's reinforcing the fact that every one of us is called to serve. In fact, another place, Todd Wilson wrote a book called More. Uh, it's a great book on personal calling, and they're beginning to develop some resources at personalcalling.org uh, that I know are, um, are great as well. The sixth, the... Uh, Sixth thing I learned about him is, is discipleship, and that's not really a big surprise. You don't have the leadership development. You don't have the empowering of, of the priesthood of believers without discipleship. And so discipleship becomes a big part of, of what Ralph does. Um, the other thing, uh, uh, there's so, so many things that I'd love to get to, but um, with, with empowering the priesthood of believers, the one other thing I, I forgot to mention that I did want to mention, be careful of what we inadvertently do that works against Releasing the priesthood of believers. I've never talked to a pastor who said he, he, he didn't believe in empowering the priesthood of believers. But so much of what we do, even in our language, I was talking to a, a pastor about this. He oversees about two-thirds of the staff of his church. And he said, when I was called into ministry, and we'd been talking about this, and I said, well, you know, hang on a second. I know what you mean. I, re- I grew up in the church. I know exactly what you mean. But when you say that, in the presence of, of lay people, of, of Non-paid staff. What you're saying, uh, I was called, you weren't. We have to be really careful about what we do. If it, imagine moving the posture of the church from, from we, from we can do it, you can help. Come into our thing, be part of our thing, to you can do it, we can help. How do we empower you? How do we, how do we help you reach out? Um, I've got a guy that, um, wanted, surfer background, you don't surf on the, Gulf of Mexico, but there's paddleboarding and kayak, and he felt called to start a ministry to paddleboard, paddleboarders and kayak. And his church said, well, um, you know, we need you in the parking lot. And he's like, well, I'm, you know, trying to be graceful. And they said, well, can't you have them come here? And he's like, well, we have no water here. Well, can't you do it on another day other than Sunday? And he said, well, no, that's kind of when they, that's when they're there. And so he now has started a uh, a church that will meet the last Sunday of the month on the Dunedin Causeway, in the, the Causeway Chapel. And, and he's being faithful to God. I don't know what will come from that. We had our first, um, actually second gathering last Sunday, and I don't know what will, what will come of that. But he's being faithful to that calling. But what if the church was behind that? 
and really reinforcing and helping what he did. The last thing I want to share with you that he did, or, or that I learned from Ralph, strategy follows, even chases what the Holy Spirit's doing. If there's going to be a movement of God, we have to not have systems and processes that, that try to hold everything in. You just get this sense in talking to Ralph that they, I mean, they have systems and processes, but the systems and processes just kind of come after and chase what the Holy Spirit is doing. And I think we need to put ourselves in a place where, where we're really trusting the Holy Spirit for, for, where we're dependent on the Holy Spirit. I think it was Francis Chan that said, it scares me that I could lead a church of 4,000 and not have a relationship with Jesus. You know, we, there are prescriptive things about building a great, a great church, but I think we want to move to, to, um, to ways where we're really dependent on the Holy Spirit. Um, man, there's uh, so much more to, to talk about and more I'd like to get from you, but I, I, I'm just, I would leave you with this. Every generation shapes the church for the generation to come. But I think in this particular time, this, this particular period of history in the Western, in the, in the church in the West, is a more malleable hinge point than maybe any other time in the history of the U.S. church, which to me, makes it the most exciting time to, to be a Christian in the West. We're going to see a lot of change, maybe lose our 501c3 status, which may be one of the best things that happens to us. There are going to be a lot of changes in, in the coming 20 years. But I think this next 20 years is going to be some of the most exciting time and maybe the most important 20-year period in the history of the U.S. church. And we get to be a part of it. God gets to use it. I look at some of you younger guys, and I'm excited for you. You know, I'm excited for the, the, the mentors that, that you've been given here and excited about what's going on here. Don't take this for granted. You know, what you have is amazing, but, but continue to follow what, what the Holy Spirit's doing. But it's been great to be with you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Bill. Bruce, appreciate it. Great stuff today. A uh, couple other notes of thanks. Uh, thanks to Christ Evangelical Presbyterian Church for hosting us today. Uh, really thankful. Micah, you may, she may be in the lobby. She just started on with HCPN. So if you see her or need something HCPN related, uh, you can you can grab her. Also, we're going to save these name tags, so throw those uh, in, in the box when you leave. A couple additional things. One, uh, Bill's agreed to stay around for a while afterwards, so we're going to dismiss right here, but if you want to continue the Level 5 conversation, Q&A, dialogue, just kind of come to the front. You guys are going to meet up here. If you're not going to stay, ask you just kind of exit to the lobby um, if you want to continue conversations. Also, uh, typically every month we spend some time praying together as a group. Uh, we're short on time today, uh, Just and I want to honor you guys' uh, calendar. So if you would, just as you leave today, and, and maybe you, you may go for a walk here, you may be on your drive in your car, uh, just spend some time you know, just asking God, uh, what, is, what does multiplication look, look, look like for us, uh, for my church, uh, and for the, for the city, and what does it look like together? So again, thanks for coming today. September 28th is our next gathering via Houston Northwest. Tim Hawks from Hill Country Bible uh, will be our presenter that day. See y'all, God. Take care.